appreciate you being here tonight. We had a good afternoon class, but the numbers are down, kind of like tonight. A lot of our folks have been stricken with illnesses, and so we'll be talking more about that during the uh, prayer, prayer time at the end. But uh, love to just ask you to pray and pray for our church family that uh, God protects us. We're in the book of Genesis, in case you didn't know that, and tonight we're going to be looking at day two is where we'll start. Uh, the, the book of Genesis has been, hmm, how can I put it? It's been giving me a chance for, in my spirit, for God to be enlarged once again. I saw in the afternoon class that it's so easy for us to limit God. When we get into our lives and the pressures of lives and the things happen and, and they're not the way we thought they were going to, and all of a sudden we subconsciously blame God for it, and so we put him in a box and say, God, you could have taken care of that, so it limits his size. Well, studying the book of Genesis once again lets him out of that box, and we are reminded that God is an awesome God, an all-powerful God, and to speak the worlds into existence in six days is, is incredible. So let's, let me read for you Genesis 1, 6. And then we'll pray, and let me just say, we're going to begin tonight by getting a little bit of a, a head start, a little run at this. I uh, covered a little bit of this last time we met, and then we'll get into some fresh material. And so let me read Genesis 1.6. It says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Tonight we're going to talk about that dividing the waters from the waters, but I need God's help to do it, so let's pray. I thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your blessing. I thank you for the afternoon class that we had, and I thank you for this evening. Now, once again tonight, I am desperate for your intervention, so would you, Holy Spirit, meet with us, quicken our minds. Lord, would you sharpen us to be able to understand the truths that you have for us, and help me, Lord, I pray, to deliver your truth, and we'll thank you for it. We need, once again, Lord, to get to know who you are. So, Lord, help us to allow you the freedom out of the box that we put you in, and we'll thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The events of day two, the firmament, here's the definition. The firmament literally means expanse. Again, this is a refreshment, expanse. As you look into the sky, when I came here this evening, I looked over and saw the moon, it was not as big as last night. It was not as bright as last night, but a beautiful sky. And as you look, you see the expanse, we could say, of the sky or of the heavens. That is the firmament. Number two, it's a curtain or tent. A curtain or tent. This firmament refers to something stretched out and spread like a curtain would be or a tent. The firmament is that which stretches out like a tent over the entire earth. In Psalm 104 and verse 2, it reads, Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. Psalm 19:1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. When you look up, you see the sky, you see the moon, you see the stars. In the daytime, you see the sun. You're looking up to what the Bible calls the firmament, letter B. It's a separation of waters under from those above, a separation. 
In Genesis 1-7, And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. You got any question as to who made the expanse above you, the heavens? Well, here it tells us. God did. God made it. Number one, the generally accepted understanding is a canopy. A canopy. God formed clouds to hover over the earth, as had been the Spirit of God in Genesis 1-2, with the remaining water left to cover the earth. Now here is the, the generally accepted understanding. This version here is what I was taught in school. It's what a lot of people were taught, and that is that there was when the earth was created, it was created with a water canopy around the earth that moisturized the earth, that, uh, that, that, that gave it dew, that protected it from the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the bad rays from the sun, a canopy. One commentary writes, Evidently, in the original creation, there was a sphere or a canopy of water above the atmospheric heavens. Later, in the deluge of Noah, the windows of heaven were opened. If all the water in the present atmosphere could be precipitated out, the ocean levels would rise only slightly, only inches. There obviously had to be a major source of water there then, which is not there now. God evidently created such a canopy of water which gave a true greenhouse effect to the earth. The original climactic conditions upon the earth were evidently subtropical across the entire planet. Archaeological finds in both the Arctic and Antarctic have revealed that at one time even the polar regions were subtropical in climate. That would have been the effect of such a water canopy above the firmament. So basically, what I was taught, the general thinking was the earth was created with a water enveloping it, and that is how there wasn't rain, it was the, the moisture from the dew and all that, that watered the earth. And I'm kind of curious, how many of you had the same upbringing, the same kind of thought? processes you were taught. Okay, most of us. I want to introduce you to another possible uh, view on this, and that's number two, what I call a resurgent view, and this is waters in outer space. And just to say the word outer space, you think I've got a tinfoil hat on, um, and you start thinking, man, this guy's really lost it. Well, follow me, if you will. In Genesis 1-7, and it says, and God made the firmament. Now, what is the firmament? That's what you see when you look up into the sky. You look up, there is the great expanse. Who made that? God made that. But now let's look at the, the wording here. It says, he divided the waters which were under the firmament. So what waters are under the firmament? Well, we've got oceans. We've got seas. And the oceans and those waters on the earth, obviously, are under the firmament. He divided them from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. So we've got a firmament sandwich. We've got waters below, we've got firmament, we've got waters above. Now, I can understand how they would get the, the canopy effect from that, because you've got the waters on the earth, you've got the, the, uh, the, uh, the sky that we see, and you have waters above there, and that forms a sandwich. But there's a problem with that. Let's get into it. Letter A, God separated the waters 
by the firmament. The great expanse known as the firmament was flanked by waters above and waters beneath. The waters beneath were those upon the earth, while those above were somehow on top of the firmament. Letter B. The lights of the sky were placed in the firmament. Genesis 1, 14 and 15. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament. And I checked the original. And so it's, it's not a poor translation. Lights in the, in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so emphasized lights in the firmament well what lights are in the firmament somebody name me a light in the firmament stars what else i'm sorry the moon yes one more biggie the sun good okay the sun the moon the stars the planets those are lights and where are they found the bible says they're found in the firmament sandwich waters beneath the firmament and the waters above the firmament where are the lights between okay so if that is understanding it correctly then where would the waters above the firmament be they would be beyond the stars so the supposition is though it cannot be proven scientifically and man has not even suggested this in his research just to look at the Bible reading sounds like underneath the firmament is all this water on the earth above the firmament or on the outside of God's creation of the universe is a layer of water now which version is the accurate one? I don't know. I don't know. But it makes sense. Here's your, here's your firmament sandwich. Letter C, the water canopy model would not have been necessary. It would not have been the only way to explain both the massive waters of the flood or even the protection from the sun's radioactive rays. Scientists have supplied sufficient solutions to the absence of the canopy of protective water which I found interesting now letter C we covered last time I'm not going to cover it again letter C is heaven so let's go to letter D and letter D you see a question mark there is that right is there a question mark there for you okay, let me give you before the question mark and that is angels angels or let me ask you when were angels created yes Yes, exactly, exactly. Let's get into it. Letter D is angels. When were they created? Well, number one, this is just a possibility. Possibly on day two. They're possibly created on day two. There's notes there if you want to grab them and follow along. See around the table there? And pens for fun. You can make faces. There is no mention of angels in creation account. You understand that. 
When you're reading Genesis, there's no place that says angels were created on day, it never says. However, they must have been created on one of the six days. Here's why. It would seem appropriate if their creation coincided with that of heaven. Colossians 1.16 says, God made everything in six days. So angels must have been included, Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Sounds fairly convincing that sometime during those six days of creation, it sounds like God made everything, and here it even lists what those things are, the visible and the invisible things. Number two, Job's morning stars watched creation. Job refers to morning stars, and I'll read you the passage, singing together at the foundation of the earth. This could also suggest that the angels, possibly his morning stars, were present and watching God's creative acts. Job 38, verse 6 says, Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? In other words, who made the worlds, he's asking. Verse 7, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now it has been, there has been a supposition that these morning stars refer to angels. Now that is not definitive. There's no place in the Bible that says morning stars are angels, but it is a possibility. Now there's also no place in the Bible that says the angels sing. And oh, I have gone round and round with folks de debating whether angels sing or not, and just so you know, I tend to think they do. I think they do. Even though the Bible never says that, it says the angels say or said, not the angels sang. But now, if morning stars are angels, here it says they sing. So I found uh, justified in my, in my thinking. Number three, Lucifer or Lucifer's fall is possibly, therefore, tied to Eve's temptation. If angels were created at this time or on day two, Lucifer would have been created then as well. Since everything tied to God's creation was called very good. Now think about that. What God created, he stood, stood back and said, it's very good. Now that would include his creation of Lucifer. Very good. Satan's rebellion must have occurred, therefore, following his creation, his com the completion of creation. And since we're not given a timetable, it's possible that his fall may have been tied to his first temptation of Eve. Ezekiel 28.15 reads, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. Again, suppositions. I'm not dogmatic. Suppositions. I told the afternoon class, um, why are we discussing things that I don't know for sure? Here's why. Because I want your mind exploding as to how big God is. And there's a lot of things that go on in the Bible that are not definitive. 
we're left with questions here. We don't know things for sure. So we dive in and we look for things, we look for evidence. We, we think, allow our minds to, to get bigger and bigger. Man, if that happens, look how big God is. As we think about these things, hopefully our understanding of the greatness of our God expands. Letter E. The missing declaration of good. The missing declaration of good. Day two ends with no mention of it being good like the other days. Since God did not actually create anything new on that day, he only separated what was already there and completed his work with the waters on day three. You see, the Bible never says on day two he created the angels. It doesn't say that. I threw that in there as a possibility. I don't know. Is it possible that he did not put good on that day because he did not actually create anything new on that day? That's possible. We don't know. Number eight, day three. Day three, letter A, dry land appearing. In Genesis 1, 9 and 10, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Dry land appearing. Number one, hills and valleys. In God's original creation, of which none of us were there, none of us have seen pictures of it. There was no video camera videoing it of creation. So we are limited to what we know of creation from what God says about it and what we can see with evidence. But it is interesting. How many of you have seen what I've seen? And that is the uh, idea that originally the land mass was basically one. And over time, and they don't explain how, but over time it broke off into parts or continents. And if you were to take each of those continents out, you could put them together like a puzzle, and they all fit pretty well together. Have you heard that before? Yeah, a few of you heard that before? Um, it's possible, therefore, that the land that came up out of the water was one continuous land mass. And what broke it apart then later was evidence of the flood. The flood is what separated it, is possible. Um, with massive pressures from volcanic activity, God pushed hills up and out of the water. Initially, by the way, I said hills, not mountains. Initially, the earth's topography was covered with hills and valleys. The high mountains we enjoy today were likely not part of the original creation. If they were not part of the original creation, where'd they come from? The flood, exactly right. The earth became a violent surge of explosive energy, setting off unbelievably massive tidal waves. Its powerful force gouged out valleys and reshaped the earth's crust. God collected the masses of water into self-containing reservoirs, oceans, seas, lakes, and a vast interconnecting labyrinth of rivers and streams. Imagine this enormous landmass coming up out of the water. As it comes out of the water, where's the water going? It's running off of the landmass. And some of it is running off very quickly. 
Some of it, it eroding the, the, the land very quickly and then creating all these um, finger uh, rivers and streams coming out of it. And so as it came out, the water subsided, went to the, uh, the places like rivers, seas, and oceans. And Psalm 104 and verse 6, Thou, God, coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke, they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Listen to verse 9. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. In other words, God put the waters in protective bowls, and he made it so that they would not overflow and cover the whole earth once again. God did that. And so we don't have to worry about the ocean overflowing and, create, and covering the whole earth again. Why? Because God said, I formed the earth so that they are in these protective areas. Number two, the great water filtration system. God is so smart. God made the earth perfectly. And he made it to self-sustain. He made the great bodies of water with thorough filtration systems. Any of you have aquariums at home? Any have an aquarium? Okay, all right. I've had them several times. And aquariums are really interesting. If you don't take care of the aquarium, the fish die. I found that out. If you don't carefully clean it out and make sure everything's exactly right, you get algae all over the uh, sides and, and nasty, and the fish start eating each other, and it's not a pretty sight whatsoever. Adversely, if you're really careful, you can have a very beautiful setting in there. Well, what makes it work is a filtration system. And you put these filters on, underneath the gravel, and it, it circulates the water through the filters and then back in. So it's taking out all the impurities. You know that God did the same thing when he made the oceans, the seas? He made a filtration system. The rising and lowering of the tides from the effects of the moon force the water over and through the sand along the shoreline where it is filtered and then returned back into the deep. You ever gone to the shoreline of the ocean or the sea and you've stood there in the water? And when you first stand there, the sand is really hard. But as that tide comes, as the water, the waves come in, you're standing there, all of a sudden, it starts washing away that sand underneath your feet. And all of a sudden, you start to lose your balance because that firm posture you had is gone because the sand's gone. What's going on? God's washing the impurities out of the water and then sending it back into the ocean. God did that. Number three, watering the planet. God established an elaborate system of constantly moving water to nourish life on the planet. Water from melting snowpacks flows down mountainsides and streams that flow into rivers. The vast array of rivers spiders out across the land and eventually makes their way into one of the great oceans. Along with snowmelt, water is also forced up from underground streams, creating fresh water springs, often adding to the rivers on their journey. Water from these sources is evaporated into the sky in clouds, which then goes back over the land masses and drops its moisture to eventually flow back out into the ocean 
to come up once again to the clouds and to go back and water the ground once again. And guess who made that system? God did. Isn't that incredible? Number four, the ocean's overflow prevention. Overflow prevention. Instead of the oceans continuing to rise because of all the water dumping into them, you just think about it. All of the rivers eventually end up in the ocean. They keep flowing down. Think just, just the Mississippi. Across our country, all the water's flowing in the Mississippi that goes down this great river running down to the, into the Gulf. You would think, after a while, the ocean would overflow its banks because of so much water pouring into it. Well, God created a system, a system of evaporation that draws water into the air, forming clouds. Those clouds float across the land and empty their water across the land masses, in turn adding to the rivers that flow back into the oceans. The system is perfectly balanced, keeping the earth supplied with water for crops and for drinking. Ecclesiastes 1.7, Solomon writes, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Amazing how smart. Solomon was. Letter B, plant life. Plant life. Now, up until now, there's been no life forms. God's been having the, he, he, he's created things, but he's had the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the land come up out of the water, and he's developed a system whereby that's the, 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 uh, the, the earth itself can sustain itself, a way for it to be watered. Well, what needs water? Well, Plants, letter B, plant life, 111, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Now, in order for grass or for plants to grow, they must have something. What do plants need to grow? Sunlight. Yeah, what else? Exactly right. What else? Water. What else? I'm sorry? Nutrients. Yes? What's that? Soil. Bacteria. What? Air. Yes. So number one is a presupposition of air. The Bible never says God made the air specifically. But we have air, and God said he made everything. So we know that God made the air. And so we know that in order for the plants to grow, he had to make the air before the plants. Otherwise, he made all this beautiful grass, and it died because it's, it suffocated. <laughs> so we had to have air. Of course, all animals and man are dependent upon air. I need air. If you remove air for a few minutes, I'll die. We die because we need air. So air would have had to have been part of God's creation from toward the very beginning of creation. Number two, after his kind, and once we get to here and a couple things on, I wish that we had time to have somebody come in that knew what they're talking about. Um, somebody uh, somebody in with a biological uh, biology background that could teach us some things here because some of, these, some of these concepts of what God did and he describes, he just opens the door to them in the Bible, are expensive explosively mind-altering. It's just incredible when you think about what God did. Here's one of them. After his kind. Kind comes from the Hebrew word mayan, meaning a species. One species cannot crossbreed 
with another by design. For instance, an orange tree cannot be crossbred with a cucumber plant. Dogs cannot crossbreed with cats. Within each kind or species, there can be much variation. For instance, rat terriers and Great Danes are very different, but they're still dogs. Which leads us to one of the criticisms of scientists that say that the ark could not have been possible is they say there were too many animals in or, uh, too many animals to fit on the ark. But what's been shown is that's not true because all that they needed was God's original creation of each kind. For instance, he created dogs. He didn't create every variant of a dog. He created a dog, and from that original perfect creation of dogs, we now today have all these myriad kinds of dogs. Bull mastiffs are more like horses than are dogs. They're massive. Chihuahuas barely qualify to be a dog. Well, now, here you got this dog that's this high and this dog that's this high. But they all came from the very same species, you see. And so on the ark, you only needed a male and a female of a dog, God's original creation, to have all these variants, which is phenomenal. Um, the, uh, the limitation of after its kind is one of the major barriers that God created to prevent foolish beliefs like man evolving from apes. When Adam was tasked with naming all the animals, he did not settle for a mate with whatever looked most like him. He did not choose to date a chimpanzee or orangutan. Instead, his exercise heightened his realization that there was no one like him. Then God made Eve out of his own body. She was in all ways a perfect fit for Adam. After his kind. Number three, first life forms. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Letter A, life to support other life. God's so smart. In order for this life system or the world system to work, he has to create it to sustain itself. So he had to make food for each of the various things he was going to create. The first life forms that God created were the forms of grasses and trees. Before he made animals, he created their food source. Also, in them, he created the system of filtering our atmosphere. Trees need carbon dioxide to grow. Trees emit oxygen as a part of their growth cycle. Much of the air we breathe has gone through the chemical change to make it capable of supporting life. God built in life-giving systems from the very beginning of His work. Letter B. God, or I'm sorry, letter B. Seeds carry God's DNA master plan. Another place that I wish we had a qualified Christian scientist to come in and describe for all of you DNA. It's way over my head. But another fascinating observation is, seed, is seen in a plant's seed. 
God has created them to reproduce by means of their seeds. God placed all of the instructions on how that plant will break free from its seed, develop roots that will collect moisture and nutrients from the soil, begin to seek a path through the soil to the exposed ground above, where it will shoot up, soaking in the rays to the sun to mature into God's original design to send off seeds to reproduce itself. The whole life process was carefully written in the DNA code of each and every seed. When I was just preteen, I loved building models. Model cars, model airplanes. I get this box and I dump out all the plastic parts. But a very important part of that box to me was the instructions. Now, I know some of you guys ignore the instructions and just take glue and start putting things together, but I wasn't that smart. So I would take the instructions and I would read them. I would start with number one and go to number two and number three and try to figure it all out until finally I had some working um, assembly here that looked something like the picture on the front of the box. What's amazing, God did the same thing when he created life. He took plants, and in his creation of a plant, he put an incredible code of instructions for that plant, teaching that plant from the time it is begun as a seed, it's got everything it needs to break through the seed, come up through the oil, soil, to collect the, the sunlight and the nutrients and grow up into a mature plant and reproduce. And that's all in the manual that God placed in it. What's also incredible is those original dogs that God made and their original DNA were the capabilities for all the variants that we have today. God wrote that in those incredibly instructive manuals that we call DNA that were in his creation of every, of every life form. Incredible. God saw his work and registered its goodness. Verse 13, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Now, I'm going to actually bring this part of it to a conclusion. And we're going to stop and pray. And then uh, we'll take some prayer requests in a minute here. But let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your blessing. And thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray that you might continue what you've begun in us in stretching our understanding of who you are. Thank you for this evening's Bible study. Go with us, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.